This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. Uh, I am in Austin, Texas for another socially distant but in-person episode of the podcast. And I'm sitting in the taproom of Live Oak Brewing with uh, head brewer uh, Dusan Kwiatkowski. Hey, Jamie. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, we love Live Oak and have loved Live Oak uh, uh, for a number of years. And Live Oak half has, of course, been a past Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine Beer of the Year. Uh, we were out here in 2018 for our brewer's retreat uh, and, and Chip gave us all a tour. Um, you know, it's just a, a, a beautiful brewery with beautiful beers. Back um, for more. You know, for, for most of the brewer friends that I know that travel in and outside of Austin, uh, for whatever reason, uh, because of your proximity to the airport, it tends to be everyone's first and last stop, um, you know, when they are traveling to Austin. And for good reason, because everything from Pilsner to Hef to pre-war pills to, you know, even the smoked beers uh, are absolutely fantastic and, uh, you know, become um, – you know, wonderful beer expressions of craft lager. So we're going to talk about that today on the podcast. We're going to talk about uh, Live Oak's approach to um, some of these uh, classic and older lager styles. And uh, imagine we'll talk a little bit about Grodziski because uh, that's a, a big focus for you all. Uh, can't wait to talk. We about have it. to. We have to. We have to. We can talk about some, um, you know, uh, pre-war or pre-prohibition kind of, you know, pills approaches. Uh, I know that you've got some fun stuff in the works. And, uh, you know, yeah, we'll see where else the, the conversation takes us. But first, as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, G&D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, reliability, and dedication to their customers' craft. New this year, redundancy meets efficiency. G&D's micro-channel condensers are built with all-aluminum construction, which eliminates galvanic corrosion. Using half the refrigerant of conventional condensers with fewer brazed connections translates to a lower GWP and less opportunity for leaks. Call GD Chillers today to discuss your project or reach out directly at gdchillers.com. This episode is also brought to you by RAR North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. RAR North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweet bread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and a nutty character. Suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft brewed versions of classic lagers. Let Raw North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact them at 1 800 374 2739. So, uh, Dusan, let's. That, that malt's on our, on our list. We'll, we'll, we'll make a pills with the North Star some point this year it's on the list you have a, a running list of ingredients that uh, you're intrigued to explore and use and, and test out yeah it's i guess pretty extensive we've so we're you know we we make pills in half and and then for the tap room and beer garden we'll pump out some some 20 barrel batches uh with our old facility small small tank cellar we've got like three little horizontal lager tanks so we'll as much as we can you know we do we can do like i don't know nine ten a year maybe um 
and uh yeah we can't quite get through them fast enough i think we're adding to the list faster than we're crossing them off but that one's on there that one's that one's on the list um talk to me a little bit about your background in uh in brewing and uh, the path that you took to get here at live oak like many i was home brewing in college with a couple buddies went on some gear and uh you know we made some english beers and i don't I never made lager beer. And then I think uh, a little right after college, I was just trying to, you know, figure out what, what did I want to spend time doing and make some money. And I actually went over to uh, Uncle Billy's on uh, Burton Springs Road. And uh, I was actually pestering Swifty. And he spent some time with me at the bar and we were talking about beer. And he sent me over to Main Root was making root beer in the back of uh, White Mountain Yogurt, which was our neighbor at the old facility. And and I and I talked with um, Mark was running the show over there, and he was like, "I don't need anybody to make root beer, but Julie and Steve were running uh, were in production over at the old the old place, just the two of them, and and Chip was running it from the office, and they were kind of they needed uh, an extra set of hands and." I talked with Steve for a little while and said Steve Anderson ended up hiring me. And so I started working there full time, just washing kegs, 12 plus years of on the job training. Um, talk to me about the kind of the, the broader history of Live Oak goes 1996, I believe, uh, founded. Yeah. It started by Brian Peters and Chip McElroy and, uh, Swifty is Brian Peters who, who I just mentioned earlier, but, um, yeah, sold the first beer in April of 97, uh, Check Pills, and uh, been been making it ever since. We did 18 years at the old place. We were, we are still self-distribution um, in, in town. We're, we have a, a little more help these days in the surrounding areas, and we have a distributor in Houston, but that's been a big part of our business that entire time, um, and we were draft only um, until we moved to our new place in 2015. And that was a big learning curve, but we did just about 10,000 barrels a year of draft beer, mostly Hefe, a lot of pills. And you have a, a beautiful, it's a, it's a Browcon. Yep. 75 hectoliter Browcon cooker, three vessel in a whirlpool works like a dream makes bright, clear wort. We love it. Um, the old brew house is out in the field on the disc golf course um <laughs> it it has There's the old brew house graveyard around the the yard here at live yeah, oak it's our museum every all those tanks are out out to pasture they were yeah they're more valuable as a museum piece than uh operation you we couldn't were, saddle another brewer with those uh you just couldn't couldn't do it huh I, that would be bad karma and so this brewery is designed and, and you all designed it from the or chip designed it from the ground up to brew you know, pills and Hefe. Um, what are some of the kind of concerns that you all, uh, or, you know, that Live Oak, uh, um, you know, considered in, in kind of designing a brew house, knowing that you had some specific, uh, you know, beers uh, to make? And I only ask that question because, you know, a lot of breweries have a brew system and brew across such a wide sure. range of styles. I think it's always interesting when you've, you know, brewing a more narrow range and, and more focused thing and what you can do in that kind of context to kind of create the right brewing environment for the beers that you make. Sure, sure. Yeah, we're brewing, 
you know, what is pills with the amber lager and the Hefe is 90 something percent of our volume, you know, a little bit of different wacky stuff for the tap room, but we're brewing beers with, you know, a thousand year tried and true tested, um, you know, Bavarian central, central European style. So trusting the engineers and the manufacturers making the beer over there, uh, with our equipment that we were going to implement over here. Uh, you know, there's probably more stuff that I didn't know that I was, that I'm, that I don't know that I did, that I don't have to worry about than I, than I do with all their equipment. And I mean, it works, works great. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So I, I think with the construction of the new place in 2015, I mean, this was a field, so we built everything how we wanted, how we wanted it. You know, we learned a thing or two and maybe wouldn't do it this, some things the same way, but generally we, we got it right. Um, yeah, it was myself, uh, and, and chip and, um, our facility manager at the time, John luck. Yeah, there was, that it was 2014 was, um, we got, we basically hired the team engineers, architect and made, did all the designing. And then 2015 was building and, there's parts of 2015 that I don't remember because it went so fast. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, you've got a, a large fermentation cellar with a whole slew of horizontal fermentation vessels. Um, you know, and obviously a, a multi-four, uh, you know, vessel uh, brew house system up here on a deck. You know, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll I'll add one thing um, about the 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 new place and and all the changes that we had with all the new equipment and new everything the thing that really kept me from being you know over the edge uh anxious nervous about the flavor of beer out of the new place was that we kept our fermentation yeast our yeast handling and fermentation the same which is so much of it and then the degree of improvement with the work quality from the old cooker to this thing is extreme but in a you know extremely positive when we were tasting the first batch when it was like not even finished fermenting all the way i was just so curious how it was going to taste it tasted incredible so much better than the ward at the old place what uh what did that process look like for you of uh you know of testing the new system with those recipes that you all knew so well um, and then dialing in those <laughs> recipes on a new larger and, and in many cases better system we we got off on the right foot with, with the german you know uh brewmaster and uh the commissioning team those two guys, they were like, oh, you're making a pills and a Hefeweizen. Uh, okay. This is like, start here and then, you know, make your time, make, make some tweaks. And so, you know, it was like, everybody's familiar with it. It's like, yeah, we're not trying to reinvent anything. We're just, we're just copying. <laughs> oh, that's one way to, to make it sound so simple, <laughs> but that's nice. The manufacturer at least had some kind of specs and ideas for, uh, you know, how to start. How many batches did you have to ruin it before you were really, uh, you know, if you felt like you had it dialed? I think we sold the first batch of half. I mean, there's like, the, you know, with the with the alcohol being good and, you know, the yeast was, was uh, 
we, we knew what to expect there. It was just kind of getting the bitterness in and it's so low, low hop bitterness. I mean, you're throwing in like a handful of hops, even in like a 60 barrel batch. So, um, so that was easy. The pills took a couple brews to get the hops right because of the, I mean, the boil, the, just the boil technology were so much better. The efficiency, just the, the way it boils, the clarity of the wort too. I mean, you can, we didn't have to use as many hops because it was just like so boiled so much better and the wort was so much brighter. It was extreme. I'm curious as to like how a different heating element in your kettle could uh, uh, change the <laughs> brightness of, uh, of the wort that you create. Um, well, we were, I think, burning it at the old place. Okay. Um, a little bit. I mean, uh, I'm being, I'm, I'm being very critical, but yeah, the 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 new cooker has an internal calandry. It pumps pumps the wort, and there's no scalding. There's um, and I mean it's it's maybe not necessarily the boiling as much, but I'm kind of talking about the brightness of the hops. Okay, uh, just right. with the clear clear wort. There's not no you know gunk in the way we were. The old ladder ton was letting just tons of porridge through, and that you know it's just compared to like bright wort in the kettle here. Right. Sorry. When, um, let's talk about, uh, pills and, and, you know, pills itself, this, uh, the, the beer that you call pills and that's P I L Z, um, you know, is designed as a Czech style Pilsner. Um, what, uh, where did the original inspiration come from, you know, two and a half decades ago, uh, back in the mid nineties when, uh, you know, Live Oak developed the uh, the recipe for the beer, and uh, has it changed or evolved over uh, over those couple decades? Biggest change is probably the equipment that we have here now. Right, um, right. But it was initial inspiration. You know, I know Brian and Chip; they were nerdy about it from the beginning. And before I worked at Live Oak, this is kind of a kind of a segue, but. When I was in, in school at uh, University of Texas, I had a studio class with a friend. Uh, I had two two four hour studios on uh, whatever day it was, and uh, my friend worked at the Cactus Cafe, which is a bar on campus, um, uh, just off the drag or on the drag. And he would work, and I would just go with him to work afterwards. And I would they had pills on tap, and so I would just drink pills. Um, you know, cause he would give me whatever, every other pills or more for, uh, <laughs> sure, sure. for, for free. But I, I just, you know, I was, I was hooked on pills and that was one that was like, when I realized it was Brian Peters that I was talking to at uncle Billy's yeah. and I was like, Oh, you know, putting the, putting the pieces together a little bit later, I was like, wow. You know, and, but from the drinking side to the make and then get, coming over to the, to the making it side, it's, um, the, you know, the mash is really fun. We do a, we were just doing a single decoction at the old place. Um, we were moving it into the kettle with a positive displacement pump and scraping it around with a giant paddle and then sending it back into the mash louder. Um, now we do a double decoction, boil it twice. Um, when we started making our German pills, which is just a step infusion, no, no decoctions. Um, and we started using it with the same, same Czech barley and then we're using German barley now for the gold, but the difference in color and flavor just from the decoctions is pretty, 
you know, pretty significant. How would you describe it? It's noticeably darker. Um, it's a fuller, you know, with, with the Czech yeast, it's doesn't attenuate as much. It's a fuller, fuller flavor. There's more malt flavor. Um, subtle malt flavors are hard to describe, but, um, sure. You have to do the, yeah. you have to do the volume test. You know, you just drink four half liters and, <laughs> and, th- and then you'll know it's like how, how fast are you drinking it only but, only but because you know having talked to swifty um you know he is not a decoction fan and takes the opposite approach to that mm-hmm. and so i'm curious you know it is interesting obviously being here at live oak where he got his start and uh you know watching those kinds of contrasts evolve and every both processes seem to make really good i don't know is that did he say that's why he left there was an argument over doing decoctions or not i think uh i think it was over uh horizontal fermenters from what i understand Uh (laughs) uh-huh he didn't want to have to harvest yeast on horizontal fermenters anymore yeah that's the pain in the ass um but i imagine you wouldn't go to the trouble to do it if it didn't felt if you didn't feel like it made a difference in your beer Sure. Um, and then, well, you know, I guess we're kind of defaulting to, well, the fucking checks do it. So we got to fucking do it. Um, <laughs> it's interesting what pieces of that kind of historical precedent American brewers pick on, you know, like because we have, the, you know, the liberty of picking and choosing those pieces of tradition and then focusing on certain ones or others. And then, you know, conveniently letting some others, you know, move off to the side. And again, there are ways to make um, really compelling beers in with these different techniques. But uh, uh, I'm just curious about why the uh, the, or, the pain in the ass factor does doesn't really doesn't really matter whether we do it or not. Or we usually, if it's a pain in the ass, we usually do, do it. <laughs> Let's find a way to make it harder for ourselves. Yeah. Um, when you taste, uh, uh, you know, pills from Live Oak, um, what, how does it convey to you? Do you all, and how, um, from a brewery standpoint, as you all are tasting and evaluating each batch, how do you all move through that process? Do you have definitions for it? Um, do you, you know, or standards that you all have developed and, and how do you, uh, uh, maintain those kinds of standards or judge each batch and say, Hey, this is it. Uh, it's been a couple of years since we made kind of a significant change where, where we, we, we moved our, uh, decoction steps where we were doing our second decoction to heat up to mash out temperature instead of, uh, kind of a prolonged protein rest and a beta decoction moving boil heating step. I don't know. Talking about looking at the color, talking to, I mean, yeah, the myardiness of it without it being, you know, tasting like it's suffering on from with attenuation um needs to be bitter who does that evaluation of uh you know of of every batch before it gets packaged and goes out well i drink all of them <laughs> um all, all our production guys are tallying up the attributes on with finished packaged beer for sure okay um everything goes into the into the the draft lab shelf and gets a gets a tongue on it through the pipeline it's mostly just the seller crew and yeah. me but anytime anything goes in the bright tank i'm but do you use, I'm, you I'm use draft lab soft software to kind of measure and track some of this we do yeah okay that makes sense 
Um, and then how do you train all your all the brewery staff who are tasting these things and uh, and evaluating and, and making their notes? Um, you make them drink their weight and pills every month for their first two years, and then then they know. Um, no, I, I within legal uh, you know sure. confines, of course. <laughs> <laughs> There's me and ten guys in production. Six of them are packaging. We've got um, uh, four seller brewers and they've all been here for like six or seven years so so they just kind of to, they a, feel it it's like yeah until <laughs> until somebody you know shakes it up and leaves and we got to get some some new and everybody's kind of trained up i don't know we're kind of all on the same page which is you know fortunate because it's going to be a lot of a, attention to training somebody new that's sure. you know always a hard thing but right. um well, let's um, let's shift some gears here and, and talk about some a subject that I think is uh, is pretty close for you, and that's historical lager styles. It's something that you all have focused on. Um, pre-war pills is a big thing for you, yeah. And uh, you know, and let's let's so let's delve into you know some of those kind of uh, different and more historical um, lager styles. But first, the world of craft beer is a different place now. Margins are more important than ever, so why not lower your ingredient cost? Craft juice concentrates from Old Orchard are the cost-effective solution for your fruit-forward needs. Old Orchard produces high volumes of their retail juice brand, so economies of scale keep prices low for their bulk supply program. A little concentrate goes a long way, and you won't lose some of it through filtering like you would with purees. To start increasing your margins now, head on over to www.oldorchard.com brewer. Also, for years, Brewery DB has been the industry's only professionally curated source of brewery and beer information. In 2019, over 1 million taproom visits were made by craft fans searching for breweries on BreweryDB.com. In early 2021, Brewery DB will unveil an all-new experience to help craft lovers get back on the brewery trail. To take full advantage of the enhanced marketing power of Brewery DB and to increase your taproom traffic, Visit marketmybrewery.com. That's marketmybrewery.com. It's easy and it's free. So, uh, Dusan, talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, adding some of these uh, uh, more historical lager styles into the the Live Oak lineup. So we got the Czech pills and the German pills and a couple other little pills. And then we, you know, we decided that there was... uh, a big hole because there's a lot of beer history in America. So having an, uh, uh, you know, early American Pilsner, um, which we've been, you know, kind of digging into and learning about, um, a lot of the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, beer history. And we, let's see, we got, a. Uh, it was CBC and DC a couple years ago. Um, the lost loggers club over there. We, uh, we got kind of like a, uh, recipe, very simplified recipe ratio. It was talking about using like 40% corn grits and an, uh, American Pilsner. And we're like, Whoa, that's a lot of corn grits. Um, but, uh, you know, and it's like, well, that's basically a recipe. Let's, you know, let's see what it tastes like. So we made a batch and, uh, we're using a little less than that. We're using like 35, 36%. Um, but it's, um, yeah. And we're calling it pre war pills because in Texas, that was a term that you were until recently not allowed 
to put on a label because it referred to like pre-war strength. It's like higher alcohol beer. And there's, you know, there's some words and stuff that the alcohol authorities crossed out. Um, but, and I, I think it was like three or four years ago that, and, but, you know, Trip really wanted to take advantage of that term using that term because pre pro yeah. is the well-known, well-known term. Um, but it was, you know, I think beer wise, you think pre prohibition, but life wise, the war was uh, a bigger deal to a lot of people. And so it was pre war strength. And so that's why we decided to go with, with pre war. It kind of, it's a little bit more encapsulating, not just beer industry. Um, talk to me about the kind of fundamentals, you know, how, what, how you built, um, you know, recipes around, uh, you know, that, uh, kind of pre-war idea of Pilsner or pills. Generally having the, the adjunct to, um, the, one of the biggest differences and why it kind of was, why it caught on is with, when you use, you get your high protein six row and you're throwing grits in there, you can polish that beer. I mean, we use lenticular filters, which, you know, they do a great job for us for the volume, the volume of, of lager beer that we, that we pump out. They're pretty beefy for as far as lenticulars go, but they can polish our pre-war corn lager up sparkly bright. Uh, and it's, you know, and it's just a tiny bit of haze that will be on the Czech pills or the German pills or the amber lager. They're really clear, but they're not sparkly crystal, you know, catch your eye out of your peripheral bright. And, you know, that I think was, that was a big part of why they caught on back then. It was like, you know, look sparkly bright, light on the tongue, tastes light, you know, compared to the heavy, all malt, yeasty, you know, ales that were predominant before that started to catch on. And so we were going to, you know, try it out with the traditional six row, uh, barley. And if we could get six row barley for, you know, as cheap as we can get our base malt, we would do it. But ultimately we're using our same, uh, base malt for it. Um, but we're, you know, we, we talked about this earlier, but we're excited to try Matt Riggs, uh, six row barley later in the spring. Um, just to try flavor because we tried it once. We used a Canadian six row from RAR. Flavor wise, I don't know. It seemed a little harsher that batch. It was a little, I don't know, huskier, grainier. But I think the malt was a little chaffy and a little old when we tried it. So, you know, you try something once, it's hard to form a full conclusion on it if it's like really not that off. But um, maybe we'll, maybe we'll yeah. try it again. Yeah, it's harder and harder to even find six row these days, huh? Right. Yeah, that was the only one I could find. Yeah. So, and it's yeah, you know, I for that reason, it's kind of like, well, I don't, you know, maybe this malt was sitting around for a while. It's like it was half chaff when, okay. I, dumped, when I dumped it out, but and then you know, a lower, little lower, lower bitterness compared to the German Czech pills, kind of you know, American macro bitterness levels. Uh, maybe a little more aroma flavor, but it's like 24 IBUs, I think. 
what's the what's the hopping approach to that in terms of uh um hops that you use our our hop use in general is pretty simple it's saws and slotic for the check pills slotic's like a little higher alpha saws equivalent um very good and then middle fruit and we use northern brewer for our higher alpha bitterness but that's it um so we use middle fruit and we love it so pretty much all our you know i mean pig bark cafe gold pre-war it's all middle fruit mm-hmm. with with the pre-war there's a you know an involved um you know process to get corn to the point where uh where you can brew with it. Talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, that alternate process of, of uh, cooking your corn grits. Yeah. The brewer's grits are, um, yeah, de-germed, get the oil out of there. Um, and then we don't have a corn mill, so we get them, get it milled up for us. But, um, the mash is, uh, you know, we're making a big pot of grits. Um, I think it's 400 kilos of of corn grits goes into our 60 barrel batch of pre-war and uh we'll mash it in with a little bit of barley those enzymes keep it from getting too uh thick the first time we made it we didn't put a little bit of barley in there and it was corn magma you could feel the (laughs) bubbles in the in the brew platform um we say a little bit of barley, like how how much is a little bit? Uh, like thirty kilos and uh, thirty kilos out of eight hundred kilos. Yeah, and then you don't need to go all the way up to a hundred C. We take it up to ninety four C, and um, and then cool it back down manually, as cold as we can get it into the you know, not quite down to fifty C for the protein, but I think we get like fifty four, fifty five. It's as cold as we can get it, and then take it through our all our steps of our regular step mash fermenting that beer is it uh does it does it behave any differently in the uh in the cellar um due to the different mash composition or uh you know the kind of uh, light brightness of the beer itself or uh is it pretty typical with the rest of your uh lagers in that similar range that's kind of all the same i think i you know look it's one of the, this one i i look at it I guess so much. I, I don't know how to explain it. Um, it attenuates a little bit more, I think, is the only difference. Yeah. Well, let's change gears again and let's talk a little bit about uh, Grodziski. Now, this is uh, another passion project for Live Oak because, um, you know, let's just not, let's say that that style of beer is not one that American drinkers are just like begging brewers to make for them. It is definitely a labor of love. It's a beer style that you fell in love with. Uh, so it popped up on our radar, uh, a blip from our, our friends in Krebs, Oklahoma. They uh, smuggled some of the uh, you know, Polish ale yeast from the Polish homebrewers when the uh, Brovar Grodz, it's closed in 91. Um, and then it was like, in the two thousands or something, they, they, they brought it back and they made a batch of Grodes and we've always loved smoke beers from going to Bomberg and, you know, drinking them and smoke beers, like time traveling beer wise, you're like going back to the cowboy, uh, campfire. Everything smells like body odor and campfire, but it's the beer, the beer part and the beers are extremely well-made. So that's 
you know, they're already good. And then smoke is just kind of an extra flavor complexity. And so we were like, oh, it's a smoke beer. Let's check it out. You know, maybe we should make one of these. And we were making 30 barrels of draft only at the old place. And, uh, yeah, 30 barrels of draft only. Krodzitski was, I think we eventually made a batch, but, you know, I don't think we sold it all. Yeah, so we I think we we made a batch, and it was, you know, the Vironment. Vironment was offering their oak smoked wheat malt, which let us do it. I think the our old ladder ton was that was rough, but the new ladder ton, which is already oversized because we're making tons of hefe, so we got it extra extra wide um, for all our wheat laddering. The making a batch of groves over here is, you know, you have like a four inch louder bed, so it's 100% wheat. It's not a problem. It louders as fast as the pills. Sorry, I'm kind of jumping around. But so in 2017, we canned the Grodes and we brought it to the CBC in Nashville and got it to a guy who brought it to some some poles. And so we were there on their radar making Grodzitski over here. And we learned that the uh, original Brovar uh, brewery was all except for the malting which they did on site, uh, was restored and, um, Brovar Fortuna was running the, the Grodes brewery. And so they were contracting the smoke malt from a Czech maltster that had the smoking capabilities and they were making, uh, Grodzitski beer again over there. And we were like, Oh, holy shit. Um, and they got their hands on some of our beer and they reached out to us. And in 2018, we went over there to make a, uh, a beer with those guys and just, you know, absorb all the right. Grodes beer history. And when we were making it, we would get a batch of the Polish ale yeast from the lab and prop it up and use it. And I don't know if it was just cause it was like a one prop use. It's like, ideally you're, you know, you're using it and kind of, it's not just waking up and then fermenting. You know, it's because it's like eight Play-Doh beers, so it's a little on the low nutrient side too. Um, but when we started trying it with our lager yeast, which we were doing for a period of time, we were doing splitting the batch and making half of it with the ale yeast and half of it with the lager yeast and blending it in the slack from the ale yeast because it didn't quite ferment as well. The lager yeast cleaned up in the conditioning tank and it was like a set it and forget it mix 50 50 in the conditioning tank and you'd get a spoon batch of Grodziski at three volumes. But the, the, the Grodz that was made with the lager yeast was, you know, great, super clean. And one of the things that the, the Grodz brewers were, was like, it kind of doesn't matter as much what yeast you use as long as it is, you know, a clean, healthy fermentation and it's a clean yeast. So, we were kind of like empowered to switch it over to entirely lager yeast, which I think has made the beer even better. It's yeast that we have all the time. It's happy. We know how it performs. It's super clean. So our Grodes is just 100% lager these days. It has been for a little while, but, and it's also kind of a thinner wort or whatever. I mean, it's 100% wheat, but 
good lagering gold tank we're able to get that get that one pretty sparkly bright too so that's yeah. like a champagne you know the polish champagne is what they call it and that grist bill is it it's all wheat malt is it mm-hmm. all smoked wheat malt or is it partially smoked partially not uh, there's a little bit of variation in the smoke. Sometimes we'll use hundred percent. Sometimes we'll use like 90% and top it off with just wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, they do the malt house kind of, they do like a truckload of smoke malt twice a year. And so we buy their kind of extra malt, which is enough for us to make grows for, for the year once or twice a year, uh, we get the malt. Um, which is great for us. Um, and we went to the malt factory when we were over there. It's in Bruntal, uh, Czech Republic. So there's a little, they do like, they get it. They, they, they kind of, they, they do their barley production and then they kind of like switch over, clear it out to get the wheat in there. They do three batches is a truckload. And so they do the first batch, get the fire going. The second batch is the smokiest. And then the third one, they're kind of like, winding down the fire so and they bag them separately and so you kind of depending on which one we get if it's the first one it's not a smoky so we'll use all of it if it's a second one we'll top it off with a little bit of wheat but depends depends on who you ask here if it's smoky or too smoky but it also depends on what you just drank beforehand because if you drank a smoked beer and then you drink crowds it's fine doesn't taste smoked at all yeah it i mean smoke is probably having made so much smoked beer and and trying it with other other beers it's it's such a elusive flavor um to to describe and grasp and and go from per- person to person that sounds like a great entree to continue talking about smoked beer how you're using it i mean i love the idea that you know, i mean the idea for a lot of brewers of 100% smoked malt sounds insane um, and over the top, even though I, you know, I think most who brew with it understand that um, it doesn't quite work that way, and it's not just a you know linear scenario where the more smoked malt you use, the more smoky a beer tastes. Um, let's talk a little bit more about that. But first, ABS Commercial is excited to be a part of today's podcast. ABS is a full brewery outfitter offering brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and small parts. As a part of ABS Commercial's ongoing give back campaign, they'll be giving away an ABS Keg Viking keg washer in June, so make sure to periodically check the ABS Commercial Facebook page to find out when the contest opens up and how you can enter to win a keg Viking. So coming back from that break, now we've got glasses of groats in in front of us so we can uh, enjoy drinking them. Uh, while we talk about them a little bit more. Um, so, Dusan, I, I have to admit, uh, I, I'm helping um, Stan Hieronymus cheat on you this year because uh, he is committed to having groats in his best of year and best of list for craft beer and brewing and has done that, I think, three out of the past four years. Um, he included another smoked beer in this past one, um, but then when uh, – uh, uh, Mary Kemper sent me a, a sent us a little note about uh, them releasing a, a groats themselves. Uh, you know, I just sent her a note and said, "Hey, uh, you know, I think I think you ought to send one to to Stan because he's always looking for a groats to to talk about." Um, and so that know. should be a requirement if you're packaging groats in a mailable box to send it to Stan. 
It really, it really should. So I'm sorry that, you know, I've kind of made it easier for him to cheat on you on that. But, uh, um, but I imagine that your gross will find its way back into, you know, other means of him to mention it in the future. But let's talk about, um, let's talk about smoke beer. Obviously, I'm just glad people are, you know, uh, that the style is proliferating. Same thing with the, you know, with the, the, the Polish, uh, yeah, the Polish, um, Grodes Brewers, they were like, yes, you know, just as, as much, as much Grodes, uh, you know, the, the Grodes gospel as much as whoever wants to try the malt to make the beer. Like that's, that's the whole reason for bringing the brewery back to life. So they don't care that you're kind of taking their, their thing and running with it. No, not at all. The opposite. They're just glad to see people out there doing it. And we were, you know, we were trying to do some Grodes collaborations, um, wherever we can. Trying to turn more brewers onto brewing this. Yeah. Those that can sell whatever their brew house volume is of it, which can be a tall order depending on the market, but sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, in, in Texas, you know, it's hot as fuck in the summertime and this beer is like sometimes keeps you alive. If you're, you know, especially one that gets some vitamin D you need to stay hydrated. So, uh, and with the whole, you know, barbecue history of central Texas, it just fits so well. And, uh, that really is true. Like here, given the people are so used to the flavor of smoke, you know, through smoked meats that, uh, it becomes a natural thing. And, you know, of course, if you were to drink one of these with some heavily smoked brisket, you may not even sense the smoke flavor in the beer quite as much. Yeah. It might just be a, just like a low gravity Pilsner. I mean, you have a couple of them and it kind of turns into that anyway, when you kind of get used to the smoke, it kind of fades. It can fade away and come back. Uh, it's not for everybody though. Some people hate it. Which is fine. No, it is interesting. Is and I keep taking sips. You're right. It doesn't. The phenolic piece stops being the you know kind of primary and dominant thing, and you start noticing even uh, like lightly fruitier flavors that uh, you know that start to develop, or uh, um, you know as mm-hmm. the the sharpness kind of uh, you know falls away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was a big uh, kind of a, a big difference when we started switching and using the Bruntal smoked wheat malt that it was like the 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 smoke profile was like a delicate kind of it's oak smoke is what they use and it's like a kind of a delicate fruit wood smoke yeah we just fell in love with it we're so glad we have access to it to make this beer because now it's i mean extremely traditional i think the only thing that that we that we don't do that they that they do is just because we don't really have them, but they use very old high beta acid hops for their bittering for preservative. So it's like heavily hops, smoke cured, lasts forever uh, sort of deal. And it does, you know, we've noticed that the shelf life is improved with the spear for those reasons, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as you were trying to get it completely dialed, you know, what did you find to be a couple of the most important um, factors or, uh, you know, pieces, whether that is recipe or whether that's, you know, technique in order to get it to express in the way that, uh, that you really wanted it to feel expressive. 
And it sounds like the malt and using the right malt was a big, a big piece of that where they're, uh, um, yeah, that was a huge piece. The, um, Christoph, the, um, one of the guys brewers responsible for, um, bringing the Crowds brewery back. His specialty is in malting. And so he worked with the maltster to develop the malting recipe with, the. Uh, uh, you know, based on the old Grodes brewery malting recipe pieces that he could find. I don't know if he had the whole thing. I think he had to come up with some of it, but he, you know, smithed it back to life and, um, you know, it's malted as close as it was when they were making it too. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's all in the, you know, the details with the, that part of the beer production. Um, they do use an ale yeast, but it's extremely clean and it drops brighter. It drops like bright, bright. Um, our lager yeast doesn't quite drop bright, but we filter it and it's sparkly just like champagne. That's really rather interesting that, um, that you could make a groats both with ale yeast or lager yeast and that it is less about the family of yeast and more about the end experience of the beer mm -hmm. with those lager or with those ale versions um you know is there any you know i imagine it's you know probably something close to you know kolsch yeast you know that performs like that are there other issues yeah it's something like that it's extremely it's extremely clean i mean i you know i like to think i can fucking bust somebody who's like um this is a <laughs> lager that's like no that's not a lager um but I don't know if I could tell with that one. I mean, there's, you know, some I can't tell, but, uh, you know, any issues about, um, you know, the way that the, these varying yeasts, uh, you know, create, uh, other flavors along the way that, uh, either work in connection with, or, uh, that you have to be careful about. I mean, the other, I really, the only thing that I'm kind of aware, aware of in the cellar, cellaring of the grows is if we move it just a little too early, I mean, I guess the whole, the whole, the whole deal with, you know, moving, moving lagers to conditioning is a little bit of sugar for, you know, spooning it up, but not too much. Don't want to take over too much yeast, but, um, if it goes over a little early, you can get a little sulfur that'll stick around and the smoke and the sulfur kind of teams up to be quite a potent little fire and brimstone uh, right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, the smoke, I think it's just like, makes you extra aware of the sulfur which being, you know, a lager enthusiast, I'm, I sometimes crave it. I don't think it's, you know, oh, just a pinch is fine, I guess. Um, but it shouldn't be too sulfury. So that's the only thing we're kind of extra, extra sensitive to with the Grodes or any of the smoked beers. Yeah. With some of your other, uh, you know, smoked beers and, and as I'm, you know, looking at the, the tap board right here, you know, you've got some some real consumer hits like Heller Rauch and uh, yeah, Schwarzer Rauch. You know, like big big selling beers up there on the on the taproom wall. Yeah, we're we're forcing them on on everybody. If we just make them all smoke beer, then whoever comes here to drink beer just either has to drink beer or go home and empty handed. I did um, I did love it a couple of years ago when you uh, you all showed up the Great American Beer Festival. And, uh, um, your pouring lineup consisted of four smoked beers and nothing else. 
it was a definitive statement. It was a <laughs> yeah, that's our true fans only. Yeah, that's our our mo. Yeah, this is or January is our. You know, we didn't really have a party this year, but normally every year we have a big rock fest and we have brew most of our beers in December, January. Uh, we have our smoked merits in, in the fall that if there's still some, we'll pour it in January. But uh, yeah, we've got maybe too many smoked beers uh, <laughs> on tap. Yeah, we made a sh- smoked yeah. alt beer this year. We made a smoked ale. We've only, I mean, we made a smoky version of the Hefe one time. Uh, Schlinkerla makes a vice beer that's smoked. So we were trying that. Uh, we weren't uh, crazy about the Hefe yeast phenols with the with the smoke same similar to like yeah. the sulfur smoke combo i was not a i'm not a fan of that particular combination so we we didn't make that one this year but smoking in lager beers yeah it's uh we just couldn't help ourselves um and we're even coming out with another smoke beer in march that's uh uh, smoked Bach beer, a pale Bach that's smoked with uh, 25% corn grits. So we're just, you know, we're going nuts because I don't think that's a beer you, that ex- existed before. We kind of made that right. one up. Um, who are you brewing these beers for? Um, I think we're brewing them for Chip, so he's got a lot of beer drinking to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it does fit the, uh, you know, brew beer that you love to drink kind of model i guess um we are you know we're trying to offer a slice of you know this is like our you know just like the bavarian austrian czech polish uh we're honing in on the bomberg smoked beer thing and just bringing it over here and just you know blowing it up to a point where it's like hey it's a thing come try it out um you know i mean I don't drink smoked beers every day. Uh, I mean, I drink a lot of groats, but I don't, I don't drink, you know, Hellbach every day, but, um, you know, it, it's nice to try it with, you know, having people come out and you just have it, have it, have an experience with it and just be open-minded about it. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons why we took all the smoked beers to the festivals. It's like people are there at a festival and they're, that's the kind of the best reception is people are there to try different things and see what else is out there. And so they're kind of more receptive already, more open-minded. We don't have to, uh, you know, surprise somebody at the grocery store shopping for eggs, like, Hey, try the smoke beer. And they're like, Ugh, mm, no, thanks. Gross. Now, there's also something I, uh, to be said, I think for finding something that you all like to make and like to drink and then just going pretty hard in it, you know, for the same reason that everyone, when you hear the word smoked beer, everyone in the beer world thinks of Schlenkerla. Mm-hmm. And even you directly reference them, like, because it is so Schlenkerla, so synonymous with smoked beer. Um, yeah, if you keep at it, <laughs> live oak will continue to be uh synonymous you know with smoked beer in the united states yeah we're working on our bomberg on the colorado uh identity and that colorado river is the the river that uh you the yeah, the, Col- yeah the colorado river runs adjacent to our our, our property 
Uh, yeah, that's why I mentioned that. You can't, you know, wade into it, but uh, you can see it. Yeah. Very steep, steep drop into it. But for somebody that might be out there brewing, tackling uh, their first smoked beer, you know, what advice would you give to them, um, you know, as they are trying to develop a recipe and, and figure this out? I think you want to have the the beer dialed in, you know, and then the smoke would be like the last ingredient. Like you don't want to try a new beer with a new yeast and have too many variables if you're going to be, you know, cause you're already kind of, I mean, you know, I don't think it's no, it's no secret that smoked beers aren't the flying off the shelves, but, um, so you're saying the like beer, the say base dial, dial in your shorts and then add the Rauk component, but make sure that your shorts tastes the way you want it to before you change that malt piece in it. Yeah. Cause yeah, if, you know, you give somebody a beer that's smoked and then the beer itself is aside from the smoke, uh, you know, flawed, uh, you're doomed. And does, as you then add that smoked malt component into it, um, are there any concessions or changes that you make to that as you do it? I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just the brewer's preference or for, you know, where you want to start out with smoke potency, but we've used a couple of the Beechwood smoke malt varieties or yeah, malt, uh, manufacturers. Um, we really like the best Beechwood smoke malt. It's a little bit more potent cause we're, I guess a little more seasoned on it. So we're not yeah. afraid to go a little more heavy handed on it. And then, I mean, I mean, we are like trying to imitate Schlankerla and they are smoke. That beer is smoky. It's not subtly smoky. So that's kind of what we're going for. If you're thinking about, you know, cooking one up. Yeah. I start a little lighter. I think, uh, I mean, I don't know. It's up to you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> sure, you, sure. You, you could make it a, you know, make a statement and yeah. But I think the biggest thing is to have the, the base beer be good. After, uh, you know, smoked beers and, uh, you know, after obviously the kind of pre-war six row and corn things you're working on, are there any other uh, brewing projects that are getting you uh, especially excited these days? I think we're all really enjoying kind of, operating in the very subtle realm of, you know, subtly different pilsners. What, um, what kind of subtle differences are you, uh, you know, tweaking on some of these different pilsners? I don't know. I don't want to just ramble off a list of, you know, a bunch, a bunch of pills, but, um, I think having made like a Saz Czech pills and a middle fruit German pills and, you know, the, pre-war is kind of new still but you know we've been making that those beers for 20 years and since you know as of september of 2019 you know we're the last state finally we can sell beer to go from the tap room and you know that's allowed us to have a little outlet for trying stuff in 20 barrel sizes and pallet of quarter barrels on draft and hundred cases of beer out the door. And that's, you know, that if we can do that in a beer and so any kind of, you know, variation of pills, that's, you know, we're going to not fuck it up enough to where it'll be good. It may not be our favorite, you know, we may use some hop and it's kind of like, huh, that was kind of weird. Um, 
but you know, it's still fine. It's just like a, an experiment. So, but you know, we're not, we're not making a, you know, 9% Imperial Pilsner or a red Pilsner. We're just kind of changing the hops from middle fruit, to Hume Malone, and maybe adding like 20% corn grits and, you know, trying a new Polish hop or trying the North Star Rar Malt and maybe we'll get crazy and try a new, a different lager yeast. Uh, actually tomorrow we're making a beer with, um, escarpment labs. It's, uh, pills with the saws strain yeast, which we thought our check pills was until we had our, uh, yeast, uh, DNA sequence with the help of the university in town and realized that our check lager strain was a Froberg strain. Um, even though it behaves similar to what uh, Saw's strain should be. Um, crappy uh, processing of maltotrios and a little less attenuative and a little diacetyl-y. Still a Froberg yeast though, so um, we've got some 1513, the Unterhefe number two from uh, Escarpment Labs, and we're brewing a Czech Pills with the Saw's we're using Slodek hops in this one, so there's no confusion. The saws is the yeast, not the hops. And, uh, you know, that'll be fun to see. Different different yeast. We'll see how diastole, maltotrios, lousy it is. Um, Sounds exciting. It'll be drinkable. <laughs> um, well, uh, Dusan, thanks for joining me here on the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. It's been uh, fun to talk about some of these... Uh, more obscure lager styles and uh and some of the you know more fun and crazier smoked beers that you all make right here um, gnd chillers is the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling set your compass by rar north star pills get great quality and reliable supply from old orchard take full advantage of the enhanced marketing power of brewery db and check the abs commercial facebook page to find out how to enter to win a keg viking of course if you'd like to support this very podcast go to beerandbrewing.com and click on the subscribe button if you're a pro brewer consider our new all access pro subscriptions that combine both of the magazines exclusive online content and more um Dusan, if people want to learn more about live oak brewing where do they find you in real life uh, and on the interwebs come to the brewery and if you wander around in the back we've got a currently a 12-hole disc golf course and i'm out there if it's not raining so track me down and i'll buy you a beer answer your questions it's a beautiful location out here on the colorado river um right across from the austin airport which people may have noticed as they were listing with planes flying over us packed um, full of live oaks tons of shade in the summertime it's uh, it's a bucolic and beautiful location out here and a wonderful place to put back a few loggers especially or you know and some three uh, percent growths which you can drink like water out here uh, but yeah thanks for joining me on the podcast cheers my pleasure thanks for having me this podcast is brought to you by craft beer and brewing magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.